Hey fans, the Athletic College Football is live in New Orleans for the College Football Playoff National Championship. Join us Saturday, January 11th at the House of Blues New Orleans for live episodes of The Audible and The Andy Staples Show. Doors open at noon central and the show starts at 1. Both shows will feature interviews with special guests like former Clemson All-American C.J. Spiller and Q&A sessions with some of the brightest minds in college football like Bruce Feldman and Stuart Mandel. I'll be your host for the afternoon, and we'll be joined by LSU beat writer Brody Miller and our Clemson podcast co-hosts, Grace Rayner and Nicole Arbach of Protect the Rock. For tickets, go to theathletic.com slash houseofblues or click the link in the show notes. Make sure you get your tickets in advance because we're expecting the show to sell out. Welcome to the latest episode of The Shamrock. I'm Pete Sampson, joined by Matt Fortuna. Um, the season seems like it ended not that long ago, but a lot has been packed into the last week plus since the Camping World Bowl in terms of uh, coaches coming and going, well, maybe more going than coming, uh, pl- players leaving, some returning, uh, graduate transfer in, um, some recruiting stuff to chat about. Uh, I think, I mean, I'm doing sort of a story for tomorrow on basically the 10 storylines that are going to dominate where Notre Dame's 2020 goes. And I mean, number one to me is the offensive coordinator and Matt, you are, uh, you have some Penn state roots. So you're, I think more familiar with Joe Moorhead the most. I mean, than most, I would think that if, if Brian Kelly wanted to absolutely hit a home run at uh offensive coordinator and find someone who can work with, with Tommy Reese, Moorhead would be the guy, would he not? Um, I mean, what what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I thought going into this, once Chip Long left and once Tommy Reese coached the, the bowl game, I thought this was going to be Reese's job barring any, you know, home run type hires out there, any, uh, you know, four or five star prospects, if you will, who, who Notre Dame could get. And I, I have no idea if they're talking to Joe Moorhead or not. I have no idea if Joe Moorhead has any interest, but that's a very big name who's now on the market, most likely as an OC, given that all the head coaching jobs are filled. Um, and he's a guy who has had, you know, for the most part, the last two years notwithstanding, uh, a lot of success as a coordinator. He had success uh, at UConn. He obviously had success at Penn State and really helped save that program, I would argue, uh, with Trace McSorley, Saquon Barkley, and the rest of that cast of characters. They got to the Rose Bowl when uh, earlier that season, when they were two and two, Sandy Barber, the athletic director, had to go out publicly and and give James Franklin the the dreaded vote of public confidence. So uh, Joe Moorhead is a great play caller. He's a great recruiter. He's a guy who really seems to brighten up every room he goes in. All his players love him. They love playing for him. Uh, he carries a, a lot of swagger with him in everything he does. He's an East Coast guy. I know Notre Dame's Indiana, but let's not kid ourselves. It's, it's much Coast more of an East Coast mentality um, in all of its uh, ways other than actual geography. Uh, now, again, having said all that, I, I have no idea if Notre Dame has reached out to him, if he's interested in coming to Notre Dame. But I do think if you're going to go outside the family, if you're going to uh, hire someone to, to come in, uh, that's the type of guy that, that you uh, put all your eggs in a basket for. I, I can't imagine a much better situation for Reese, assuming Moorhead's personality and, her, and ego are what people tell me that they are, um, that it's kind of minimal uh, on the ego and but a big personality i would think that would be a great person for reese to learn from for one year or two before he's ready to be a full-time oc i mean to me i if you're reese 
I get it. Like, this is an automatic yes if Brian Kelly says, we want you to be the OC. Duh. Of course you want to do that. Um, it's that's a but it that is a big job uh and while he, i think he's a got some some real skills as a play caller uh, man uh to come into the offense as you're le- losing really your only two playmakers um tony jones is gone not that he was you know a super dynamic back but he was very reliable chris fink is gone as a captain that's Man, that that is just a lot of pieces to put back together for somebody who hasn't really done it ever as a full time um, OC. So to be able to bounce ideas off Morehead, um, to me, man, I, I just think that I think that would be a great fit because you're getting new stuff in your playbook. Um, you don't have to just call what Brian Kelly and Chip Long called, um, you know, over the course of the last ten years, so to speak. So. Man, I just think that would be excellent uh, if they can make that happen, which, of course, means it won't happen because how often in these uh, coaching situations do number one picks actually fall your way? And, I mean, it's it's worth noting, like, the, the two biggest assistant coaching names that I remember uh, over the last 15 years are probably John Tenuta and Brian Van Gorder. And, you know, obviously <laughs> neither of those worked out at all in any capacity, so... I don't know. I'm not sure where they're going to go. I haven't really heard a whole lot of definitive names about it. It's a bit tricky because you got to find somebody who can coach tight ends because I don't think you're going to bump Reese over to tight ends. Um, you know, do you have Polian coach tight ends and have special teams as sort of a more collaborative uh, and then have your OC sort of float between all the positions? I don't, I don't really know where Brian Kelly's head is at on that kind of stuff. Um, I, but I, but I think that's, that ultimately is going to determine the ceiling or it's going to be one of the big determinants of the ceiling of Notre Dame season in 2020. Well, you talk about these things never working out in the sense of how often does this Notre Dame or really most schools get the number one guy they're going after. I mean, if they want him, this is the rare case where the stars have a line because of the timing. I yeah. mean, Miami, Penn State, Minnesota. Uh, I'm sure I'm forgetting some others. Boston College, a bunch of Power 5 schools that had offense coordinator openings Texas. have all filled them. Texas, uh, another one. Uh, I think, you know, you're basically competing right now with, I'd imagine, Washington, Oregon. I could be missing someone, but I think those are the two biggest schools out there right now um, that have offense coordinator openings. So in that regard, it would work out for, for Notre Dame. But, yeah, I mean, I don't think – a Catholic dude from if, Pittsburgh. Come on. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I think the, the fit would be much better there than it would be um, in Eugene, Oregon or Seattle, Washington. Uh, now, if you're going to bring in an outsider, and if you do, I think Moorhead should be that guy. Um, I, I agree. You're not going to move Tommy Reese to, to tight ends coach. You're going to give him maybe a co-OC title, uh, keep him in charge of quarterbacks um, and, and give him a pay bump. Um, now, if they end up not getting anyone from the outside, if they end up promoting Tommy Reese to full-time OC, then I think you're in the market for uh, some sort of tight ends coach, run game coordinator position, maybe even a guy who could coach tackles as well, as well assuming uh, that Jeff Quinn is staying on as offensive line coach, which I haven't heard anything different Correct. so Same. far, despite a lot of the uh, the fan banter and, and, frankly, media banter out there. Um, they do have an opening uh, on the defense, though, uh, Todd Light. Uh, is not returning after, I believe, his fifth year coaching defensive backs at his alma mater. Uh, 
look, we, we knew this was coming for a while. His son's playing out at Mater Day uh, in Southern California. I'd expect him to end up uh, somewhere in that part of the country if he does end up coaching next season. Uh, have you heard anything, though, about Notre Dame's plans uh, moving forward with that position? I, you know, nothing overly definitive about it. Uh, I am highly intrigued about how do you, can you reshuffle your defensive staff and have Nick Lazinski somehow stay on as a, maybe your full-time linebackers sure. coach. Can, can Clark Lee sort of oversee corners – or safeties and have Joseph oversee the other? Or can Joseph coach the entire secondary and you find the next Nick Lazinski as a GA uh, or an analyst? I mean, I, th- I think those would be potential options there. Um, so, I, I mean, we both are, are pretty well aware of how regarded Lazinski is inside that, um, inside both the locker room I mean, you, you and the You would think he's a full time coach. The way, just watching him act if you're watching on TV or from the stands. I mean, he, he looks like he's doing more than half the guys on that sideline. He's very involved. Yeah, and it's, I mean, what, he was one of the big reasons why the linebackers were so good last year because um, they, they needed a really good teacher, and he was willing to basically do whatever it took. His first year, he sort of described it, he was the linebackers coach to the backup linebackers. Well, in year two, all those backup linebackers were starters, and right. he got a lot more involved with them, and I think that position developed a lot. I think – Certainly, he's got a passion for Notre Dame. I, I would think he would be a good recruiter. I'm not 100% sure on that. But um, if, you're a, if you have a passion for the place where you're working, you're probably going to be able to sell that to future prospects. So I, I don't know if they will end up doing that. I mean, I think that the, a like-for-like like hire probably makes a lot more sense. You know, Could you go back to the alumni well with Jeff Burris, who was – on staff as sort of an analyst, um, you know, as Todd Light was coming on. I mean, ultimately, that, that was sort of how that uh, job, I don't know, job share, but like job decision was made. It was basically down to Light and Burris. Uh, Brian Kelly went with Light. Um, neither of them had a whole lot of experience at the time. Burris has been at Northern Iowa, was with Bob Diaco at Louisiana Tech last year. Um, certainly has moved up on his own merits. Um you know, maybe he would be somebody who would be in line for this kind of move. Um, I think uh, Mike Mickens is a name that I've heard. Uh, is at Cincinnati right now. Uh, has played for Brian Kelly at the end of his Cincinnati career. Um, not a huge resume of experience, but has done some good stuff. Um, you know, I thought Cincinnati was was good, and he, you know, has sort of a, an understanding of what Brian Kelly is all about as a coach. So that that might be a name to at least watch. Um, but I'm not really sure if Notre Dame knows where it wants to go, nor do I know, you know, is, does Brian Kelly ultimately make this decision? Do, is it more Clark Lee-based? I don't really know. Um, I think that, that that may lead to different outcomes uh, if there's, you know, the decision maker isn't necessarily the, entirely the head coach. Obviously, Brian Kelly is going to make the decision, but – if he's leaning more on Clark Lee, does that maybe take you in a different direction than if Brian Kelly's just going to go out and find somebody? Because certainly, I mean, I think we would have to, you know, look back at how was Lance Taylor brought on. Chip, that was Chip Long's guy. I think if Mike Elston made the decision as associate head coach, it might be more in the Mike Hart um, role because that was a connection that that Elston had. So it's ultimately, I guess, who who gets to make the call on that? Is it Lee? Is it Elston as associate head coach? Certainly, Brian Kelly blesses it or comes up with his own ideas does terry joseph make the decision because he may say look we need a full-time corners coach opposed to me coaching both positions or maybe he has sort of the nick lazinski of corners that they can bring in next year as a ga or as a an analyst i'm not 
I'm not really sure where they go. It, it just seems like they have a lot more freedom and a lot more options on the defensive side of the ball, whereas offensively, I think it's it's a little bit trickier of a proposition. You mentioned Nick Lezinski. You do know his protege in this business, who happened to have just got in a an in-state coordinator job, uh, if he is looking for, for more options. Bob Diaco, how do we not lead off talking about <laughs> him being back on the Dame schedule in two years? That um, that would be something, especially if uh, Chip Long also ends up in West Lafayette as an analyst next year. He won't be around by the time Notre Dame and Purdue play, but um, I would a, a Chip Long Bob Diaco tandem um, would be highly quotable if they were ever allowed to speak to the media, which they probably won't be. <laughs> Well, maybe maybe they can join the podcast. Yeah, exactly. Uh, in the some exactly. Point. We, we might have to put a time limit on it for both of them. But yeah. uh, um, comings and goings on the roster: Ian Book back, Cole Komet gone, Tony Jones gone, Alohi Gilman also gone. Um, I did. I'm, I'm assuming you're like me. None of those really surprised you. No, I was just gonna say. I mean, not, it was kind of what we expected. And the Venice Karana got added as well for Northwestern. Um, which is a little surprising, but but I think we knew it, it was coming. Um, it's, I, I guess I didn't appreciate how much production they were losing until I think you tweeted it when Cole Komet announced he was leaving, just how little they have coming back at the receiver spot. And I guess that's where it makes sense to add a guy like Bennett Skronik, who went healthy, uh, was, a, was a good Big Ten receiver, and is another big body, and Book will be able to throw to. Yeah, and it's, there's, there's no value in an open scholarship when it comes to a graduate transfer. I mean, I think it's part of one of the benefits of the whole graduate transfer uh, situation that, you know, everyone's living in now is if you get, if you're at 84 scholarships, just find a grad transfer and roll with it. Cause I mean, I, I look at sort of my scholarship estimations for Notre Dame last year. If you did not include Mick Asaf and Colin Grunhard walk-ons who were put on scholarship, at least for the spring semester, Brian Kelly was up front. Like, look, this doesn't mean anything for the fall, but Hopefully it'll work out. But if you didn't include those guys, but you ha- you do have Bennett Skoranek, um, I'm assuming you know Alohi is already gone. I'm assuming Isaiah Robertson, Javon McKinley, probably moving on to something else. That would put you at 86 scholarships. Surely, one, two, three, four guys are going to leave. Um, you know that we don't expect, or they do a grad transfer out, or they're just looking for new opportunities somewhere else. So there's plenty of room. I would expect them to have no problem being at 85 because really it's at this point, if you had three scholarship guys say, you know what, I want to do something else or I want to explore a new option, that would that would make Bennett Skoranek and the scholarships given to ASAF and Grunhard, that would put you right at 85. So I think Notre Dame's, their roster situation is, is probably in a healthy spot at the moment. Yeah, I mean – Skronik made the biggest highlight two years ago in the, the division clinching game at Iowa. He had an incredible long touchdown grab uh, that ended up winning the game for Northwestern in the division. And he only played, I think, three games last year, had an ankle injury, had surgery on it, uh, was a, voted a team captain. Now, let me tell you, from dealing with that program a lot, they take that seriously there. I mean, there's no funny business. The the players get in a room and vote on that, and um, it means something to, you know, to be post put up as a captain there uh not that it doesn't elsewhere but i mean that that's a purely player driven uh operation when it comes to that there um and 
he, from my understanding, you know, when he visited Notre Dame, I mean, he checked out well health-wise. He would have been healthy enough to to play in a bowl game had Northwestern qualified for one. Uh, and when healthy, I mean, he was one of the best athletes, if not the best athlete on that Northwestern roster. And I know we're talking about two different breeds of football players with, with Northwestern's recruits and Notre Dame's, generally speaking. Uh, but that's definitely a guy who I think can – can help uh, an offense that has its sights on uh, at least challenging for a college football playoff spot next year. And when you return an offensive line and a, a three-year now starting quarterback, um, you know th- that's the biggest question mark is who's going to catch those balls. And um, if you can add a veteran presence, a, a guy who's big-bodied and has great hands, is a great athlete, uh, you go out and do that. Um, so, so it makes sense. I mean, I was a little skeptical initially just because I, I hadn't heard much uh, throughout the season about that being a possibility. And again, I, my bad on this for, for just taking for granted how much they were losing. Uh, but, but when you see the raw numbers, as you tweeted out, uh, you know, it, it was going to put Notre Dame in a pretty you know precarious spot in, in terms of who's going to step up and make those plays really outside of Braden Lindsay, I think next year, uh, if they didn't make a, an addition to the roster. Yeah. So that, you got Kevin Austin, Braden Lindsay, Lawrence Keys. If they all clicked and were as good as everyone inside the Goog hopes they would be, then you know Bennett Skronik is probably a rotational player. Uh, but at some point, somebody's going to turn an ankle. Somebody's going to get a concussion. Maybe somebody runs into an issue with uh, Res Life, and then you know if that happens, you don't want to immediately have to go down to incoming freshmen Jordan Johnson, Jay Brunel, Xavier Watts, like. Look, I, I get it. All all three of those guys are talented, but same as the story with Austin Lindsay and Keys, and you know they they've sort of been bit part players uh, who haven't totally clicked in yet. I think Braden Lindsay is very very close, and Keys is too. But it's just it's a risk you don't need to take. Um, so I, I give credit to Notre Dame for managing its roster in the right way to say like, okay, how can we go out and find somebody who can who doesn't have a history of injury, a la like. Uh, Freddie Canteen a few years ago or Cam Hart or Avery Sebastian that that kind of graduate transfer where you're sort of like concerned before they even show up about how long they're going to last um Skronik doesn't have any of that that stuff happening so that um I, I would think that he would be a guy that can come in and give you a mature receiver and maybe he can catch a fade ball here or there for me and book and that's any contribution, I think, is a win for Notre Dame as long as he's a good locker room guy, and certainly by all accounts, he seems to be. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he is coming off an injury, but I mean, he also had pretty much the whole winter months to, to rest that. Yeah, I mean, it was like a, a ankle, a really bad ankle sprain. Um, I mean, he had, sur- he, I believe, he had yeah, surgery. Yeah, the highline surgery that mean, is really common, and it just took him a while to get back. Right, from and it, there are only so many grad transfers that work at a place like Notre Dame, at a private school. It only so many people I think that they'd even be in the market for. Likewise with Northwestern, with Wake Forest, with Stanford. Um, if you can get a guy from Northwestern, you know he's probably going to be a fit at Notre Dame and you're not going to have to babysit anyone or, or monitor any issues. The guy knows what he's signing up for. Yeah. He's from Indiana. I believe he's yep. from Fort Wayne. Uh, so I, it, it makes sense. Um, that came, I think, a day before Cole Komet had made his decision, and I did wonder and asked around if that meant Skronik was going to be more of a tight end role, but everyone told me no. He's going to stay as a big receiver, especially with Claypool gone. They lack some height there. Uh, the Comet news, not all that surprising. I mean, he, he he kind of hinted that that could be a possibility when he spoke down in Orlando. When you saw him go down for a second at the end of the, Oof, the bowl game, you yeah. thought, get out of here, buddy, right now. Um, as a media guy, and I'm sure as a fan, as fans – 
they're, they're scratching their heads at, at yet another one of Notre Dame's players saying midseason they're coming back, uh, and that's that, and, and reneging on, on that uh, declaration. We Will Fuller a few years ago, who, who acted kind of like flabbergasted at the idea we would, would question him on that, um, and Stefan Tuitt uh, back in 2013, both guys had, had – declared in season they were staying and they ended up leaving look all the power to them i don't blame them but but you know for those asking why we keep continuing to ask and press this is why decisions in season before that blank check staring you in the face um really aren't you know the the, the most thought out decisions uh mike mcglinchey the rare exception in 2016 i believe it said repeatedly he's coming back and he got to the point where you know none of you guys believe me but i am <laughs> i said mike don't blame us blame the guys who came before you who uh who, who insisted 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 and ended up uh not coming back but look good good for Cole Komet. i think he made himself a lot of money this year uh when you look at you know a guy like kyle rudolph who had a big game yesterday and a big play yesterday uh for the vikings nfl playoffs when you look at the lineage of Notre Dame tight ends mm-hmm. uh you, you wish him well and think that this is a guy who, who has a chance to make a lot of money and have a long career at the next level yeah i think that you know my story on Komet leaving it felt a lot like his career will be remembered similarly to Kyle Rudolph here, where you're like, clearly his, the best part of his football career is going to be at the next level. And you're going to look back and be like, God, man, Notre Dame just was snake bit due to injury there. Um, whether it be the collarbone this year, the high ankle sprain last year, um, you know, he showed up and he had, I think he had mono before he enrolled. So he was a little bit behind his freshman year as well. Notre Dame it just unfortunately it never got the best of Cole Komet other than you know maybe the Georgia game and a couple other flashes here just not and it's not Cole Komet's fault it's just bad luck um, you know some some NFL team is probably going to be thrilled that they get Cole Komet in the second round and if he stays healthy he can be their starting tight end for the next seven years um, you know Kyle Rudolph had a separated shoulder I believe his sophomore year and then uh, a terrible hamstring injury um, his junior year so there's another guy you just never really got to see the best of him necessarily um, but he caught a game when he touched on an NFL playoff game over the weekend like his his careers turned out <laughs> okay I think he's at 40 million dollars uh, in earnings or at least contractually um, at 40 million dollars like stuff stuff's pretty good if you're Kyle Rudolph um, I would expect Cole Komet to have a similar uh Similar arc, maybe not a Pro Bowl MVP type of career, but I, I would think that he would be a frontline NFL player if he's healthy for quite a while. Yeah, di- different situation, but uh, you know, I can't help but think looking at the NFL this season and seeing a guy like George Kittle, uh, who, who's just been a- unbelievable, made the Pro Bowl and All Pro team again, and. I, yeah, at one point this year was like, where did this guy come from again? And I had to Google and I was like, oh yeah, he went to Iowa. How, how did I not see that? How did I miss that? Um, the guy had only 48 career catches at Iowa because they had the most crowded tight end room in the country and probably un- underutilized him. Well, definitely underutilized him yeah, when definitely. you see what he's doing now. I, I don't think Notre Dame underutilized Cole Komet. I just think it was an unfortunate situation where he uh, got hurt uh, a lot and, and only had really this year to showcase his talents. But um, I, I do think he's a guy, like you said, we will remember a lot more for what he does at the NFL and have people doing what I did with George Kittle, Googling him and saying, where did he go again? Oh, how did we miss him? Um, 
but you know, good good for him. I, I'm looking forward to seeing that guy uh, in a modern day 2019-2020 NFL offense because I think he could do uh, a lot of big things. Yeah, I think just for the notion that like, oh, Cole Komet was always leaving, or there was you know he wasn't serious when he said he was coming back in November. I was working with Notre Dame on setting up uh, an opportunity to shadow Cole Komet during the spring semester as late as mid December. Um, wow, and we were talking about. Basically, the uh, I'm I'm interested in like how much online classes have suddenly. I don't remember this being the case ten years ago, where all elite football players don't even go to class; they take online classes. That's as you as you know, and many of our listeners know, that's not something that's available at Notre Dame. Um, and so I pitched that idea to Notre Dame. I was like, "Who would be a good guy to sort of shadow for a day of like what it's actually like to be here?" And they're like, "Oh, Cole Komet, let's do it." So I don't think this was a situation where. Cole Komet was sandbagging anybody that he actually no, he actually yeah. made a decision at the end of December and I know that on social media we all like to be as cynical as we possibly can and think that hey look that uh, these guys know what they're doing the sec- the season the second the season started I don't think that was the case with Cole Komet um, and even being in touch with uh, Kyle McCarthy who's his agent he even said like we weren't really sure what was going to happen with that um, so that's I sort of take Cole Komet at face value. In, in November, he planned to come back. And then he got his draft feedback, and it was second round. And he was like, eh, maybe I should do this instead. Um, so I think it was a tough decision that went the way of the NFL. Um, I, it, is, it sort of gets into an interesting topic about Notre Dame 2020 because I feel like there is a consistent thread when Notre Dame has seasons where maybe overachieve might be too much, but seasons that maybe go better than expected or they're really making playoff pushes or BCS pushes, they've sort of won the NFL draft game, um, mm-hmm. whether that be in 2012 with Manti Teo, 2018 with Jerry Tillery and Tavon Coney, you know, I mean, to a certain extent last year mm-hmm. with uh, Julian O'Quara, Khalid Kareem. Now the, 2015, Day and Stanley were both surprises. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I mean, 2013 might be one of the few exceptions where Knicks and Zach Martin returned, and they didn't really, you know, the, the team was not that great. But Knicks barely returned, there was a, and they lost their quarterback. Yeah, and look, there was a lot of weird stuff that offseason, so I'm not sure I would put it all on two guys coming back as making the difference. But does Cole Komet change your outlook on next season? Because for me, it it does. Um, that. They need they need multiple Cole Comets to make a serious push at the playoff and and now they're sort of they're starting over with those kinds of guys. It, it does a little bit, but I mean I everything you just said has val is valid. I, I don't question any of it. I'm with you. I think Cole Comet genuinely thought when he said he was coming back that he was coming back. Uh, but I, I I just had always kind of in the back of my mind planned on him not being there next year. So in that regard. It hasn't changed my personal expectations for this team next year. Now, when you you look at it from an either-or standpoint, yes, certainly when you return one of the best tight ends in the country uh, and the only real proven threat for Ian Book, uh, that that obviously increases your likelihood of making a run to the playoff. But I I, I just, you know, despite him saying he was coming back, and again, not to to question the kid's earnestness or anything like that, uh, you know, we've just seen this so many times. And, you know, even today, I mean, 
I thought for sure Tua Tagovailoa was coming back with the way he delayed his announcement and the way he set up a big press conference with his coach on his campus and with everything the Alabama broadcast was saying during the Michigan game. Uh, those guys have a lot more intel than any of us do being around that program all week. I thought for sure this was a big celebration announcement of him coming back. Uh, and he announced that he's going to the NFL. So um, I, I, I just automatically assume for the most part that most of these guys are leaving. I mean, uh, Alohi Gilman, I, I knew he was going to leave. Tony Jones, I mean, Notre Dame kind of announced he was leaving and then announced they didn't know he was leaving, and then he announced he was leaving. <laughs> um, Ian Book's the only one that uh, I think I expected to, to come back, um, a, especially after the way the bowl game had gone. Um, so I can't say it, it, it's colored my perceptions of next season all that much just because I, I expect him to be gone to the NFL. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, it's um, – I just look at next year's offense, and maybe that gets back into the the original point about Reese. Is like, do you want to give your first time play caller a pretty challenging uh, hand to play with at the offensive skill positions where you're trying to fast forward young guys to play? Chris Tyree, Michael Mayer, Jordan Johnson in the freshman class. Um, you know, figure out you know how do you get Tommy Tremble to not be just a situational player to be uh, every down six seven hundred snap guy. Um, these are these are going to be tough questions to answer. Um, Cole Komet would have made answering them so much easier because he would have been the most reliable part of Notre Dame's offense next year. Um, so to- he would, but I mean, it's not like they lit the world on fire offensively this year. I mean, they're returning the entire offensive line. The run game has nowhere to go but up. They return a three-year starter at quarterback. I mean, yeah, you would like some proven guys back catching balls. They but, did average thirty-eight uh, points a game. Yeah, they played Bowling Green in New Mexico. Doesn't everybody no, though? In two of those games. <laughs> Well, Notre Dame, I guess, doesn't because, I mean, that's where they, they did a lot of their stat padding. Um, look, I thought they got pretty close as much as they could have out of the material they had to work with offensively there. this year. Um, but I don't think it was all that much material. So when we talk about uh, what's coming back or not coming back next year, I mean, the quarterback and the offensive line, which obviously has to be better, the offensive line, that is. Uh, I, I, I don't think it's going to be some massive rebuild job off this, you know, Yes, technically record-setting offense, but you know, not not an offense that I think is going to be remembered as one of the greats in Notre Dame history in terms of no, the, the cast of characters and the big game performances. I mean, it, it, it's going to be starting from not from scratch, but from a similar ground that this year's team had to start from. I think, and again, when you have a proven guy, a quarterback, and hopefully a healthy offensive line, and you know, presumably the same offensive line coach, I think you know you expect those two parts, which are the two most critical parts, to improve, and everything else will kind of grow around them Mm -hmm. no i agree with that um before we wrap up this episode uh there was a story in the south bend tribune about notre dame recruiting uh that sort of dovetailed a little bit into brian kelly's comments um to me and a bunch of other reporters but it was a question that i asked about basically was there anything you will that you could see on saturday against iowa state that would inform you one way or the other about where the program needs to go uh, and he said, one, we got to find an offensive coordinator that takes what we have and elevates it, um, which, you know, we sort of addressed at the top of the show. But the other thing is like, we are going to change some things, um, in recruiting, raising our expectations about what Notre Dame could be. And in the past, he said that Notre Dame was sort of locked into basically six through 15, um, uh, but more, more likely like 10 through 15 in terms of the team rankings on signing day. Um, that Notre Dame was going to push on and be more of a top 10 class. And I said, you mean like top five? And he's like, yeah, I think we can get there. And he said, I've changed my opinion of that. Um, 
to me, this is the story of Notre Dame's entire offseason. It's the most interesting thing that's going to happen with Notre Dame in 2020 is basically how do you suddenly make the roster a lot better because um, getting into a top five class is basically adding a couple top hundred players or a five-star player and a four-star player. It's a, it's a big friggin' difference. Um, and then the South Bend Tribune story was basically that uh, there were Jalen McMillan, the four-star receiver, going to Washington. Lathan Ransom, a four-star safety, going to Ohio State. That They were both looking incredibly hard at Notre Dame. I know that's true with McMillan, maybe less so with Ransom. Uh, but that Brian Kelly wasn't overly involved in their recruitments, and it would have made a difference if he was. So, I don't know. When you read that, your takeaways from that. The playoffs are finally here. There's only a few more games left before the champ is crowned. Don't be caught saying, wait till next year like 24 other teams. Get in on the action this weekend with the DraftKings Sportsbook app. With so much going on this week, they have great promotions running every day. From odds boosts to free bets, DraftKings has it all. Plus, DraftKings Sportsbook is a safe and secure betting app. You can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. It's no wonder DraftKings Sportsbook is America's top-rated sportsbook app. And to top it all off, DraftKings Sportsbook is offering their best sign-up offer to date right now. You won't want to miss this. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code FAST. For a limited time, all new users can get a sign-up bonus up to $1,000. That's right, DraftKings Sportsbook is going all out with a sign-up bonus up to $1,000. Don't forget, that's code FAST all uppercase, and get your sign-up bonus up to $1,000. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Indiana only. Bonus comprised of a first deposit bonus and a first bet match, each up to $500. Deposit bonus requires 25 times playthrough. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Uh, good reporting by Carter Carroll's the South Bend Tribune. I mean, I, I immediately thought of Brian Kelly's comments about becoming better at recruiting and i, I kind of thought and i think you'll agree with this um about time someone said that on the record because yeah. uh, we've heard a lot of that uh, on the recruiting trail from people in the goog i mean brian kelly could be a really good recruiter for whatever reason he kind of chooses not to be and when he talks about talking uh, elevating notre dame to a top five recruiting operation I know they have their limitations relative to the Alabamas of the world, but there's still no reason with as good of a coaching staff and as good of an education as they have to offer that this place can't be swinging higher uh, than it does on the trail. I mean, to, to read the quotes first from McMillan, quote, Washington, literally everyone on that staff I have a relationship with. I have everyone's phone number on that staff. I text them all the time, and it's not even just about football. It's about girls, food, anything other than football. With Coach Kelly, he never texted me. He didn't text my mom, my dad. So I didn't feel like we had a relationship for me to actually want to go there, end quote. Uh, and let's see, he added later, quote, if Kelly would have texted me and my parents, there probably would be a relationship established and I'd be able to see myself looking more into Notre Dame. That would have been a good situation. Uh, Ransom added, quote, it definitely would have made a difference in my thinking at the end. Um, and he, he went on to talk about how much Ryan Day talked to him at, at Ohio State uh, and how he never heard from Brian Kelly. I mean, look, I mean, Brian Kelly has had a remarkable career. I mean, he's going on almost 30 years. He's never been fired. He's had remarkable success everywhere he's been. Whatever he has done to, to have this much success over this long a period of time uh, obviously works. Yeah. So it, it would be foolish for us to all question that. That said, we've talked to plenty of people who both work and have worked for him 
that leave us wondering what exactly you know his secret sauce is because these quotes, as eye-opening as they are, are not that surprising because we've heard something similar from a lot of people behind the scenes and wonder you know why doesn't he get more involved because that would only help Notre Dame's cause of graduating champions, as they say, of competing for and eventually maybe winning a national championship under him because he has revitalized this program from top to bottom. He's going to be going on 11 years now, which I think me and you both would have laughed at after year three if we said he'd be here for another eight years and have this kind of success. Um, And yet you look at everything and say, this place could do better. And I think it starts with a guy on the top. And I think it starts with recruiting. And this story, uh, you know, for better or for worse, did a a wonderful job of illustrating for the public, I think, why that's the case. And when Brian Kelly is saying down in Orlando, we need to change our our recruiting operation. We can be doing better. I I, I think, you know, this article is kind of the the, the poster board advertisement for that. Yeah. And it's, I think these are from a micro level with McMillan, I do think Notre Dame didn't go after him hard enough from the head coach. Uh, with Ransom, he was he had said throughout the process he was looking for school with a good social life. Notre Dame doesn't really land those guys very often. Um, but I think you know one anecdote from that is like in 2013, Notre Dame was desperate for linebackers. I realize Niles Morgan didn't have an amazing college career, but he was a big time recruit. Um, and as Notre Dame was recruiting him, his position coach left for the head coaching job at UConn and his area recruiter left for the head coaching job at Miami, Ohio. What does Brian Kelly do? Basically takes over the recruitment. They land a four borderline five-star prospect from their own backyard, but somebody they absolutely had to have. Uh, and they went out and got him. And Brian Kelly had a huge role to play in that. Also, you know, Brian Kelly's re- recruiting approach was was. In the- you know, they, they got Chris Tyree, Jordan Johnson, Michael Mayer, Tosh Baker, Michael Carmody, et cetera, and the, et cetera, on the offensive side of the ball. Like, to me, it's Brian Kelly's got to be willing to get down, uh, get his hands dirty with recruiting a little bit more. And then it's on the staff to be like, look, not every prospect is going to need the treatment that Jalen McMillan or Lathan Ransom is asking for. Um, there are plenty of guys in this class where Brian Kelly's approach worked just fine, but. When you can find guys that, hey, look, we need the head coach a little bit more involved. Um, the staff has to recognize that to figure out, okay, this is a trait that a box that we need checked here. And then Brian Kelly's got to be like, great, I'll do it. Um, I don't think that's always been it, the case. It, it, he, he has a private plane. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's the, the biggest fix of them all. That's, that part has already been fixed. Um, but it's like where, wherever Notre Dame goes in recruiting, if it gets better, if they can really push upward the rank upward on the rankings, like there are a lot of infrastructure improvements that they can make, but getting Brian Kelly more involved. I mean, we've both spent a little bit of time around him. Like he's really good in small rooms and small groups. Like that's what recruiting is. So you would think that that would be, that can be a strength of his if he, if he really goes for it. And I think that's it's going to take a lot of things to sort of get Notre Dame to land that extra four star, the extra five star, maybe two or three extra four stars. Um, but I would, man, I, I would get Brian Kelly out there more and more and more because I think he would do a really good job at it. Yeah, I, I couldn't see anything better than that. I mean, I think, you know, again, good reporting by, by uh, the South Bend Tribune. Um, 
you know, rarely do you see, well, I, I shouldn't say rarely because, you know, 17 year old kids are a little bit more prone to, to saying things publicly right. they may regret later. Um, but, but, you know, you don't see this spoken too much publicly about Notre Dame. And, um, you know, I think, I think it's the truth. I mean, I think it's reality. And I think, you know, maybe Brian Kelly, I mean, he obviously didn't know this story was coming, but, maybe, you know, uh, he had to have been self aware enough to know that, you know, th- there was something missing. I don't think otherwise he would have volunteered what he volunteered before the bowl game. And, and like you said, that's the story to monitor, I think, more than any other this offseason, even more than, than who they're going to hire as an offense coordinator. I think it's can this operation led by its head coach going into his 11th year uh, elevate itself from a recruiting standpoint to, uh, you know, move from the 10 to 15 range and, and get closer to that top five range where, uh, you know, you're not only just competing for a playoff spot every three years or so like they are now, um, you're competing to maybe win a game in there right. and maybe That's win it all difference. when you get in there, uh, which, hey, Tua Tagovailoa is gone next year. Maybe if Notre Dame gets Alabama in the playoff, their, their chances uh, get a little bit better. They'll have to be Clemson first a month earlier, but uh, I guess that's good news if you're a Notre Dame fan. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's ultimately what we're talking about. We're talking about Notre Dame as a program that can do more than make the playoff. We're talking about Notre Dame as a program. Can they actually win a game in the playoff? Um, and look, you watched the semis. There is a different level of speed and athleticism out there than that Notre Dame has in a lot of positions, um, and so Notre Dame needs more of that. And so, whatever it takes to get there, they got to do it. Uh, Brian Kelly can be part of that. Private air can be travel can be do it. Maybe a, a larger recruiting staff can be part of that. I'm not really sure. Certainly, facilities can be a part of that. Um, I think their indoor probably will help a little bit in that way. And if they do Goog 2.0 with training facilities and academic space, that can be part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but but Brian Kelly's in that mix as well. So I'm I'm fascinated to sort of see where that all goes moving forward. To me, that's that's the story of 2020 if you're Notre Dame football. Now I'll say this: you mentioned the speed of, and you know watching those teams in the semis. LSU's recruited really well, but if you look at the guys who are making those plays for them, I mean, Joe Burrow was not a huge recruit. Uh, Jamar Chase was not a good, a huge recruit. Justin Jefferson, I think, was a two-star who people didn't even think belonged on that roster. Now, obviously, you're, it's a little easier to get those projects, if you will, when they're they're local and they're more inclined to go your way. But, I mean, LSU had the 15th-ranked recruiting class in the country two years ago, and that's uh, a large portion of this roster that looks like, well, is number one team in the country and has a chance to win it all uh, on Monday. Um, so I, I think it, you know, the coaching part is there for Notre Dame. They need to be better on the recruiting trail to, to have a shot at, at competing with these big boys and, and ultimately winning it all. By the way, before we go, quick shout-out. He tweeted this during the pod recording right now. Uh, friend of the pod, Brady Quinn, retweeted our buddy Bruce Feldman and said, if, as you get ready for the college football playoff, you have to check this out. If you don't have a subscription, you are missing out. Thank you, Brady. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. Your, your, your crazy conspiracy theories about Clemson notwithstanding. <laughs> Uh, thank you. Well, there's a really good story about Brady Quinn on the Athletic that somebody wrote. So maybe that too. Maybe he's, uh, maybe he's gonna... By the way, Jamar Chase was uh, the 19th player in, uh, overall in the country, but according to 24/7 Sports. Oh, then I said that. Right. So, uh, Justin Jefferson and another one of the receivers were, were three stars, yeah. or two stars. But anyway, my bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. On that note, I love to end on uh, our podcast on screw ups by Fortuna. That's those are really the best way to go out. <laughs> I could think of no better one. Yes. Do you have a prediction for for Monday while we're at it? Uh, well, I guess this, uh, maybe we'll be back before next Monday. I do. I like LSU in this game uh, quite a bit. Not that I I think they're going to hammer Clemson uh, at all, but I. It's weird because I think I liked Clemson over Ohio State because 
there was a coaching disparity between the programs. Uh, Clemson having the experience that Ohio State did not. Um, that would lead you to Clemson again in this game. But I don't know. There's just something about LSU. I think that they're they're on a completely different level offensively from everybody else, and I think that's that's what is going to make the difference a week from a week from tonight. Yeah, I think um, you know we're, we don't want to be a prisoner of the moment, but this LSU team is one of the most impressive teams I, I think maybe I've seen in my lifetime. I mean, the, the way they've just housed people week after week, they already have five top 10 wins. I mean, I, I look at that roster, I look at Clemson's roster, and I think LSU wins this game by 10 points or so. That said, I mean, there, there's something to be said for having the heart of a champion. I think Clemson had no business winning that Ohio State game, and they did. So I don't think you can completely write them off. Um, but LSU, with addition to basically the home crowd, I mean, I, I think they win this game by double digits. Oh, yeah, it's the, the home crowd. It's I, I have covered LSU in a major postseason <laughs> event against Notre Dame in New Orleans. It was uh, You just gave Burrow the kiss oh of Oh, my God, it was Marcus not pretty. Russell. It was not pretty at all. So, yeah, it, uh, perhaps that, that will only embolden my LSU pick there. Because, I mean, there are they about, what, four-point favorites right now, if I'm not mistaken? Yeah, it's about four or five, yeah. I think, and I'm sure it'll move a lot between so, now and then. All right. I mean, they're – yeah. Well, by the time you listen to this podcast, maybe we both have, will have ended on a colossal error and Clemson will have won the championship. <laughs> <laughs> Who won that Notre Dame-Michigan game we were so confident yeah. in? I forgot. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, heck, I picked Iowa State to win the Camping World Bowl if we want to want full disclosure yeah. on – I hear you've been, you've been getting reminded. Yeah, I know. That. People yeah. – people, yeah, Brian <laughs> Kelly included, so – um, we will. I think we'll be back next week. Maybe we'll wrap up the national championship game. There's a way that uh, you can always put that in a, a Notre Dame frame of mind. Uh, Maybe they'll have a hire by then. Who highly unlikely on that, I would say, Matt. But, um, week, but. <laughs> you know, the uh, early enrollees will be here by the time next Monday rolls around. Grad transfers will be here. Um, maybe there. Maybe there will be coaching news, if not official hires, by then. So. Uh, I, I don't know. It, it may be a, a, a more interesting Notre Dame offseason than I was expecting uh, based on this recruiting stuff, based on the OC changes. Um, there's there's going to be a lot to unpack over the next few months with Notre Dame football. But by the way, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire was a three-star. There you That's go. the name I got yeah. wrong. So I knew I, I knew I was landing on someone, just the wrong guy. <laughs> yes. Every good offense has at least one three-star out there. Um, <laughs> LSU just has a bunch of five-stars as well. And yeah, it'll, it'll be weird watching a Clemson, a meaningful Clemson game without Hunter Renfro in it. On that note, yeah, yeah, it's, uh, that will be something. He's uh, it, LSU is is quite loaded, but uh, I, I would watch T Higgins and Justin Ross just as just as much as I would like to watch uh, you know Jamar Chase and those LSU receivers as well. So it's it, just from a spectacle standpoint, the the talent on the field. I, I do think it will be sort of a reminder of like ah. These are some of the next steps Notre Dame needs to take. Um, I think they are there at some positions, but look, even at quarterback, got Joe Burrow, and you know you can say that he wasn't like a big time prospect. He was, he put up ridiculous numbers in high school, and it's not like he was a two star that nobody wanted. Um, you know that he was a top prospect. He just wasn't in the same league as uh, Trevor Lawrence. So it's. Um, there's there's always a way to look at these national championship games and probably thinking like ah this is where Notre Dame needs to go and you know recruiting is is usually that direction so it'll be it'll be fun to watch. O- Oklahoma fans are nodding in agreement at everything you're saying right now. <laughs> yeah, Pete. exactly. Uh, so I guess on that note, we'll wrap up this week's edition of the Shamrock. I'm Pete Sampson. He's Matt Fortuna. We'll be back next week. Maybe we can start rolling in some off season guests if there's not a bunch of news to cover. But 
as is the case inevitably with Notre Dame, <laughs> there's always something going on here. So we'll be talking about that something next week, whatever it will be, on the next episode of The Shamrock. Thanks for listening.